0: The Lord is saying to us this morning, if you are ever to be the contagious church I'm calling you to be, you need to be asking yourself, am I honoring God in this area of my life? Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. This morning we are continuing our series entitled Contagious Church, and we're turning to Nehemiah chapter five. You should know that in the first eight chapters of Nehemiah, Nehemiah has returned from being a captive in Babylon under the Persians, And he has been working to rebuild the city walls in Jerusalem. And over the last seven and a half weeks, he has pulled together 43,000 inhabitants in the city of Jerusalem. And for the first time in 150 years, they now have a city with walls that are in place, and they can begin to grow the city and settle down as a community. And so that gives you a sense of the background of what's been going on. And in chapters 8 and 9, things begin to change change for the people of Jerusalem. And we make in at chapter 9, and we begin with a prayer. And this is the longest recorded prayer in all of Scripture. And please notice how it begins. Nehemiah writes these words, "'Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens' even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God, who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ar of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Word. This morning we'll be moving into chapter 10 as well, so keep one finger, please, in chapter 9 as we make our study this morning. Over the last few weeks, as most of you know, we have been asking yourself, what is it that makes a contagious church? A church where people are excited to be church where people feel at home. They feel that sense of the presence of God, a place. Not only are they excited, but they'll long to gather for on Sunday morning and participate in the course of the week. And we've asked some probing questions. We've asked, what is it that defines a contagious church? What is it that defines us here at First Pres? And over those several Sundays together, we have said this, that first and foremost, a contagious church is a place of grace. It's a place where we learn. It's a place where we ask tough questions from time to time. It's a place where we ultimately and first and foremost engage with a living God. That's what defines a contagious church. So, if you're visiting this morning or watching on television for the first time, and you're wondering what kind of church this is, that will always be our intent when we gather on Sunday morning, is open up God's, God's Word and engage with Him. And as we come to Nehemiah this morning, please also remember this, that 150 years before this story begins we discover this, that the Babylonians came in huge numbers, conquered Jerusalem, and exiled their citizens off to Babylon. Then the Persians conquered the Babylonians during that period. And then the king Cyrus sent some of the Jewish exiles back to Jerusalem, and they were there decades upon decades before Nehemiah arrives. And in seven and a half weeks, He is able, with the help of all of the people in Jerusalem, to build the city walls and make it at last a home, a place of community, a place that is life-giving and life-affirming. And all of that has happened in the first seven weeks. One of the things you notice as you begin to read through Nehemiah, you discover that he encounters unforeseen setbacks, unrelenting deadlines, increasing criticism, personal conflicts, financial pressures, and as you read these early chapters, making your way up to chapters 9 and 10, you discover this, that the book of Nehemiah is like reading someone's personal journal. It's almost written like a diary. And the moments when Nehemiah is excited and blessed and encouraged by God, those moments are clear. The other moments when things don't go so well, and you almost hear his heart groan, you get a sense of them as well. Over that period, great things have happened. And in chapter 8, he calls together the entire leadership of the city, all the major families, and they meet together, and they plan and prepare for where God is taking them next. And so we break into this very exciting story when all of that has taken place. And chapter 9, as you know, begins with this prayer. And notice what he does when he is praying. He says, "'Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord.'" you made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all the starry host, and earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. let me pause for a second and outline this, that in this prayer of Nehemiah, and we'll not be working our way through all of it, three things come to mind. And the first thing Nehemiah does for the sake of the people of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel is this. He helps them reassess their relationship with the Lord. That's the first thing he does. It was what he did in those early days, and it's what he's doing now as God takes them on to the next level. And his prayer begins with this, an intentional focus On the character and wonder and grandeur and grace of God. Nehemiah is saying to them this if you are ever to go to the next level as the people of God, if you're ever to be a place that is life-giving, life affirming, a people who engage with the culture around them and make a significant difference, your first and foremost calling always will be and ought to be to focus on the transcendent majesty, grandeur, and grace of God Himself. Crucial to see that biblical principle right there. Now, before we go any further, allow me please to suggest this, and to probe a little this morning. Allow me, please, to be as personal and as pastoral as I possibly can. Can you recall for me a moment in your spiritual prayer life where you've opened up the Scripture and you've had that overwhelming sense that you are engaged with the living God and it is just you and Him? and you're overwhelmed at His love and His goodness, and you shake your head in incredulity, how could God possibly be this good, this loving, this gracious, this forgiving, this merciful? Folks, when you get to that level in your prayer life, when your devotion and adoration takes you there, then you're ready to go to the next level. That's what's happening with Nehemiah. That's the Spirit of God at work among the people of Israel. I have to confess that that is my single greatest prayer for us on a Sunday morning, that as we gather in His Word, we learn of Him, we adore Him, we give praise and thanksgiving and glory to Him. That's what makes a contagious church, because we're engaging with the living God. Amen? Amen. That's where God is at work. And Nehemiah understands and knows this. If they are ever to be the people God wants them to be, that is first and foremost on their spiritual journey. He reassesses so they can get a sense and a feel of God at work. And he does it in his prayer because the prayer is all about the goodness and greatness and wonder of God. This is not a five-minute prayer where you spend the first 30 seconds giving thanks for God's blessing and then roll out a shopping list of needs and wants. Now, in the earlier chapters, Nehemiah has been there. He's offered up very quick, emotional, emergency prayers, but here he's taking us to a level that few have experienced. And it is spiritual, and it is deep, and it opens up our hearts and minds and souls. And Nehemiah is saying this, if you are ever to be the people God is calling you to be, I need you to understand and grasp this, that it is possible for the heart and mind and soul to soar heavenwards, to areas you have never experienced before, to move from the comfortable and the known to the unknown, to the wonder and greatness of God Himself. All of that is wrapped up in these early verses. You and you alone are God, and we worship you. That's what's happening here. And so, he begins his prayer with a reassessing of the attributes of God and the people's relationship with Him. And then He takes it to another level. He refocuses. So if you're putting this down, reassess, then refocus, and eventually we'll get to redirect because those are the three words I want you to take away this morning reassess, refocus, redirect. And He enables them to refocus by doing what? In order to move forward, he encourages them to look back. As you make your way down through that prayer, what does he say? Remember when in Egypt you freed your people. And so he's saying, Father, as a covenant God, as a God who has been faithful down through the years, be faithful to us again. And you see it there, verse 9 you saw the suffering of our forefathers in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh. Then verse 13, you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. And then he goes on and on and on. Verse 19, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert. And he continues and continues and continues. It is an outstanding prayer as he moves them from refocus, excuse me, from reassess to refocus focus. And what is He saying to them is this. The temptation for us on this Stewardship Sunday is to think that contagious giving begins with us. But the Bible tells us this. Over centuries, it tells us this, that God is the contagious giver. He gives us life and breath and all that we have. He gives us every answered prayer, every forgiven sin. He walks with us each day. He is faithful to us even when we are not faithful to Him. He will not abandon us, betray us, or walk away from us. And so Nehemiah knows if he's ever to go forward, it's helpful to look back and be grateful and thankful to God for all that he has done in days gone by. And that's what's taking place in the rest of chapter 9. Now, having said all of that, what we also discover is this. That as Nehemiah takes them further and moves them to understand the goodness and faithfulness of God as he reassesses and then refocuses, chapter 10, we discover, changes things. Because he has moved from the prayer action. But allow me please to give you a word of caution here before we get into chapter 10, and it's this. About two or three weeks ago on a, Sunday, on a Wednesday lunchtime and then Wednesday evening at our Bible study down in Fellowship Hall, I tried to point out to our folks then, it seems appropriate again this morning, to do this, that whenever we discover a challenging passage of Scripture… Whenever we hear the voice of God clearly calling to us, one of the things we are prone to do is this, is to rush to application. And sometimes the temptation is to say, Richard, I see what you're saying, I understand it, I hear it, I get it, what does God want me to do? But understand this, please, God's primary role in your life is not to get you to do, but to be. And so, the difference between chapters 9 and chapter 10 is this. In chapter 9, He's calling us to be the people of God, be engaged with Him in worship, examine our lives, and then take action. Our difficulty on a stewardship Sunday is we want to rush to do, to apply, and we'll get there, but just be patient with me a moment longer, and allow me to use this illustration. If you go to your doctor tomorrow morning and say, doctor, since Friday morning I've had this terrible pain right here, just at the top of my leg, and it's so painful, and the doctor says, hmm, okay, does it hurt when you put a finger there and then press your tummy? Is that so? Yeah, absolutely. The pain is so acute I can handily stand it. I know exactly what it is. Please lie down, pull up your T-shirt, let me get an alcohol swab and a scalpel and I'll be right back. Hold on a second. And he goes over and he rummages in the drawer and you see him with a scalpel and an alcohol swab. He gives the scalpel a quick wipe and says, now, lift up your T-shirt and I'll uh, cleanse it first uh, and we'll be fine. You say, doctor, actually, I don't really think it's an appendicitis, gallbladder. No problem. I've worked on all sorts of gallbladders. Let me have a look. We'll have this out in a second. Let's deal with it. Rushing to application is not always helpful. And so, in Nehemiah chapter 9, he is saying, think, pray, be the people of God. Because when we are impacted by Him, when we are encouraged and strengthened and enabled by Him, then is the time to take action. That's the time to apply. And so when we shift into chapter 10, what happens is this, that the people of God gather together and they put in writing their solemn promise to God And what they say is this, that we promise in light of your goodness and grace to us, in thankfulness for your transforming love, this is what we solemnly promise to do. And the opening part of chapter 10 is a list of everyone that's there. And then as you turn the page, going to verse 32, they say, we assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service for the house of God. Then verse 35, we also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crop and of every fruit tree. And then verse 37, moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God to the priests the first of our ground meal of our grain, of our offerings, of the fruit of our trees, and of our new wine and oil. And here comes the point I want you to focus on. And we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites. Levites. Now, what does that mean? A tithe in terms of our faith is this. As Christian people, we are convinced that we ought to be Christ-like in the way we raise our children. We ought to be Christ-like in our relationships with our family, our friends, folks who live in our neighborhood, people at work. We ought to be Christ-like in our prayer life. We ought to be Christ-like in every area of our lives. And here in Nehemiah chapter 10, the challenge is this. Nehemiah is challenging the people, and they are solemnly promising that from that point on, they will be faithful with all their worldly goods. And for you and I today, in essence, it means this. that This is the time of year when we have our stewardship season. This is the time when we ask those tough questions. And the question this morning is this. Father, are we as individuals and as the church of God in this place honoring you with our wealth and our finances. And the biblical principle we saw here is this. A tithe, in essence, means this, that we carve out 10% of our income and we give it back to God And we give it to Him and say, Father, we are thankful and grateful for all that You have given us. And we give this to You, as we did this morning, as part of our offering, so You can use it for the extension of Your kingdom. For those who are in need, for those who have very little, for those who need the gospel, Father, enable us, please, to have a significant impact in other lives. Over the last three or four Wednesday evenings after the Bible study, I've crept upstairs and looked around on our youth floor. We have well over 120 or 30 youths on a Wednesday night. Three years ago, it was nearer 50 or 60. There is a work of God going on in our youth ministry, and we bring hope and transformation That's what we're investing in. And what Nehemiah is saying here to the folks in Jerusalem, the Lord is saying to us this morning, if you are ever to be the contagious church I'm calling you to be, you need to be asking yourself, am I honoring God in this area of my life? Now, having said all of that, now let's move to application because application is necessary. And we see it right here people in Jerusalem, solemnly promise, and then step up and assist. This week, you will receive from us a letter as part of your membership, and it happens this time each year. And in there, you will find a letter from me outlining the areas of ministry we're involved in, what we need to raise in terms of to continue our work in ministry. And also in there, you'll find a pledge card. Here is my challenge to you this morning. In the course of the next seven days, Next Sunday morning is Commitment Sunday, and during our closing hymn, you will have the opportunity to step forward and make your financial commitment for the next year. And this is my challenge to you, particularly to the dads and the granddads who are here this morning. Let me encourage you to do this, and this might be a little radical, so bear with me. When you get your letter this week, and you look at the letter and also the commitment card Sit down with your family and say, How will we respond financially to First Press this year? Take 15, 20 minutes. Think of the ministries that it impacts. Think of the lives that are transformed. And prayerfully say, as a family, This is our goal. I remember quite clearly about five or six years ago, understanding for the first time, or at least in a fresh way, what tithing was about. And I got to the point in my mind where I now look forward to it, because what I discovered was this, that when you give, with giving comes ownership. And with ownership comes responsibility. And with that comes excitement. And with that comes a sense of God at work, and I want to be a part of it. That's what happened in Nehemiah 9 and 10, when the people of God said, we have a vision of the call of God. We want to be the people He's calling us to be, and it's my time to step up. And all of that was going on here. So, let me try and wrap things up this morning in the closing couple of minutes. If you have given for decades, and given sacrificially of your time, and your prayer, and your giving, please allow me to say this. We cannot thank you enough we are who we are as a church this morning by the grace of God and your response to His call upon your life. So, thank you. And as prayerfully this week you respond again, thank you. For those of us, whoever, who kind of give sporadically and now and again, and we think, well, maybe it's not something I've really got around to, allow me please to gently challenge you as well The national statistics for churches, and particularly people who give sporadically, is this, that they do not give 10% of their income, and it's somewhere around two to two and a half, almost in a casual fashion, and we're grateful for it. Please don't misunderstand me. But understand this, if you're a member at First Press, and you are regular in worship, and you only give sporadically, let me encourage you this week to take action. Be intentional. Be proactive. Step out there. Chat with your family. Speak to your bank. Organize it. Take action and say, Yeah, I'm done with this sporadic giving now and again, but I want to step up and be part and parcel of all that's going on. I want to invest. I want to make a difference. I want to support and respond. Those principles are found right here, and allow me please to encourage you to do that. And if you're sitting there this morning and saying, Richard, are you serious? Do you really think that my $25 a week will make much of a difference? but well, please hear me when I say this. $25 every week from hundreds of people who do not give regularly would almost double our income. Let me say that's shocking, but let me say it again. per week for those who don't give regularly and then begin to give regularly from hundreds of people will make a huge difference for us. So, this week, the challenge is be listening to God's Word, seek to apply it to our lives, because when you step up and begin to make a difference, when you reassess Refocus and then intentionally redirect. Let me promise you what we will do as a congregation. Number one, we will continue to seek God through excellence in every aspect of our ministry. Number two, we will intentionally equip our children, our youth, and our congregation to actively engage daily with the truth of the gospel. Three, we will seek to develop strong intergenerational relational congregations who worship Him because He first loved us. That's what we're about at First Press. Please come and join us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. It feels as if we have not done it justice once again, and yet there are so many principles there that we are grateful for. Father, thank You for Your continued grace towards us. Thank You that You love us with an everlasting love, and enable us, please, to leave here this morning with a clear vision of what You're calling us to do in order that we might once again respond to Your goodness and love. Father, hear our prayers, for we bring them in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said... Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you need prayer for something or someone in your life? First Presbyterian Church offers a healing prayer service each Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Our prayer ministers will quietly intercede for you or anyone you are representing who needs prayer for physical healing, emotional healing, or forgiveness. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus, the healer and redeemer, in a deep and meaningful way.